morning, Carl. Hey, unless you're listening to this in the evening, then good evening, everyone. Yes, we should just, I should just say hello. Hello. You'd think after five years, it's our month of anniversaries, Carl. You'd think that we'd it get is. this month. Yes, we've been doing this now. We're starting our fifth year. Congratulations to us. Yes. And to you for spearheading this entire thing. Well, it's been a it's been a joy and it's morphed into several different ways, but I like how we got it set up now and and I really enjoy our conversations. And also we've been able to talk to a lot of really terrific people, which is award winners. Yes. And we're gonna have some more today in the local theater community. We will start out talking about the greatest night in pop. And then around 10 minutes, we'll have the stars of Copenhagen and the lead for the Dutchman. And then around minute 48, we will talk St. Louis Theater Circle Awards. This will be exciting. Our St. Louis Theater Circle Award nominations came out on Friday. And you can see that at poplifestl.com. And so that's fun. So I am counting the days to spring. We're having spring-like weather. But you have had a break from the blues not really of- yeah I've, i had a big from the blues but i was at seven of eight disney on ice performances that was followed by wwe raw which was a 10-hour day and then last night was steely dan and eagles well how were so they they joe walsh at 76 years old can still play guitar like a master i think joe walsh in the conversation of great guitar players, Joe Walsh is not mentioned enough. He isn't. And he's a big friend of Bob Hiles. Um, yes. And we, we looked at Bob Hiles is still alive and still living on the East side. And I do believe if when Joe Walsh comes to town, Joe Walsh actually comes to town a lot to see Bob Hiles. And they did Rocky Mountain Way with the, with the Hiles talk box last night. And... Joe Walsh was uh, at Mississippi River Festival when I was a teenager, and I saw him as a member of the James Gang. Yeah, and he, they did it. They did Funk Forty Nine last night, and he opened for somebody. I can't remember who he who they opened for, but it was a. I'll have to look up in my MRF books who was there. But like Jackson Brown opened up for America, things like that. So I enjoy my walks down. Memory Lane, but particularly Mississippi River Festival. So I've got my eye on the spring, but we've got uh, a bunch of things happening this February to make the time pass. And I've seen a bunch of movies. I know you have been busy at the live things. So, but I saw, I, speaking of Memory Lane, there was one movie that both you and I saw. We talked about it a little last week because we saw we were going to watch it and we did the greatest night on pop on netflix which is a documentary about the making of we are the world yes and i was utterly fascinated by it because i remember that so clearly i remember how they recorded it after the american music awards in january of 1985 how it was a huge deal i had forgotten that they released the song on the radio at the same time around the world. I totally forgot yes. about that because that was a well, moment. It wasn't, it wasn't that. They just had every radio station in the area play it. And I remember 
JC was at Keishi at the time, and he went off on uh, KMOX for not playing it, and because Bob Hyland said, "Well, we're there's a rating. This is a we're a talk station. We're not playing that," and they should have at the time. They should have, yes. And uh, I uh, forgot who all was there, but I was quickly reminded. And I like the talking heads in this. It is Bruce Springsteen, Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Sheila E., and then some of the behind-the-scenes people who are connected to it, as well as the big star, Lionel Richie, who produced it. And I know you have issues with how one-sided his view is. It is very one-sided. Michael. It's interesting to find out how Michael Jackson uh, did his writing process and it's disputed on if michael wrote the song or if if lionel richie had any real hand in writing the song they they're co-writers officially on the song this is a lionel richie produced production so it actually makes lionel look like he had more in it than he might have and then the stevie wonder thing it's interesting who they didn't talk to billy joel is barely mentioned in the entire thing and he does look bored and they don't mention uh jeffrey osborne they don't men- they didn't mention jeffrey osborne at all they didn't mention james ingram who has a very uh big part in one of the solos they there are so many things that they gloss over or leave out like they mentioned that waylon jennings got sick of waiting around when they were trying to change the lyrics, but they don't mention that Waylon Jennings came back for, to finish once they I didn't got know that. done. I didn't know that until you told me that. I, uh, I knew it was a very long night. I did not know. What I was most surprised at is that Michael Jackson was shown in a really good light. He was normal. For- I don't know about that. Well, for, for someone as, who, for someone who, his writing process is not normal. That's not. It, it, we knew that the Beatles didn't know how to write music, but they knew how to play. Michael Jackson didn't know how to play, nor did he know how to write music. So he just hummed everything and made other people create his vision. And and I'm not saying I'm not diminishing his vision at all. I'm just saying that is the weirdest writing process to write a song. Right. And uh, Stevie Wonder was just a ray of sunshine and he got everybody calmed down and, and Dylan, he really effective. I like the, the best line of the whole thing is it was like the first day of kindergarten because here are all these stars without an entourage, without anybody. And they didn't really know. Not everybody knew each other. And here they are. And it's uh, the first time this kind of uh, thing happened. And Harry Belafonte, of course, he was the driving force of it all. Uh, I like that the the newbie, you know, because Huey Lewis was new and he took the line that Prince was supposed to have, but Prince didn't want to be around all those people. And he didn't want to be around those people and he wanted to play. He he didn't want to just sing, he wanted to play. And Prince wouldn't Prince, I don't know if Prince delivering that line that Huey Lewis did would have worked as well. Yeah, and, I don't think so. And the fact that Madonna wasn't there because they wanted Cindy Lauper. I mean, Cindy Lauper is great in that song. And Madonna's not that strong of a singer, but having Madonna there in 1985, that that was a mistake. And they they even show Huey Lewis next to Madonna 
being interviewed about it at the American Music Awards. They should have had Madonna there. It was also weird that Sheila E. was used. They wanted they wanted Prince there, and they were using her, keeping stringing her along until just to get Prince there, and that didn't happen. Right, uh, I understand. But for for those who never knew anything about We Are the World, it's an interesting documentary. For those of us who lived through it, I think it's really fascinating to see the dynamics of everybody at work and the work processes and Tina Turner. And uh, of course, Tina Turner's uh, barely in it also, which I, I don't find. And you hear all these stories about Diana Ross being a diva. She's the one that's crying at the end since she didn't, she had such a good time. She didn't want it to end. I know. And she goes over to Daryl Hall and says, Daryl, I'm your biggest fan. Would you sign <laughs> this? And then, and then they all started <laughs> signing everybody's and she's the one that started it. She came across as very motherly, I thought, yeah. but the best uh, like Quincy Jones is a genius and how he got everybody to, in line and kept the cats herded, you know? Well, and you, and you also said that uh, Stevie Wonder was, Stevie Wonder was um, so sweet, but he also went off the rails for a little while too, because he wanted to add Swahili, even though in Ethiopia they don't speak Swahili. And he, they said that didn't matter. I know. Well, we have our guests here, so we have to welcome them. We are talking about the greatest night in pop. Hi, guys. And if you Hi. would like to chime in on the Netflix documentary, if you've seen it, if you've had time, because I know you're in rehearsals and in performance. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Lizzie Watt, Joel Moses, and Cameron Jamar. All St. Louis Theater Circle nominees and winners in one way or the other. So we welcome you. I was just telling welcome. Carl that the nominations came out on Friday. So la we have two of last year's big winners. Joel won two and Cameron <laughs> won one, but still pretty good. So yeah, what's, your, you. what's your award-worthy productions that are <laughs> that are about to uh, delight and entertain us? Hey, Go ahead. Oh, wow. Uh, happily. Thanks, y'all, for having me here. Good day, Grand Risings. So, yes, my name is Cameron Jamar. I am artistic producing director of Soul Siren Playhouse, and we are currently in production right now in our second week of performances for Amiri Baraka's Dutchman at Greenfinch Theater and Dive at 2525 South Jefferson. It is starring yours truly and the beloved Eileen Engel as the play's two feature characters. And even in our first week of performances, it's got folks talking, people are feeling the heat. It is a powerful play that we've been getting a lot of great reception for. So please come on down and see it. Tickets are free at that. So really not an excuse not to. <laughs> Donations accepted. Well, we will talk about this more, but we have Joel Moses and Lizzie Watt from Copen. I'm gonna say Copenhagen, Copenhagen. Uh, one of the uh, best dramas written, Michael Frayne, British playwright. It is very timely considering it won the Tony in 2000 for best play, but it is about the meetings of the minds. Carl. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Copenhagen by Michael Frayne. Uh, and we are opening on Friday. Uh, and running until the 25th. And yeah, absolutely. I think this play is incredibly timely right now as well for 
for multiple reasons, not only because of the state of various places in the world, uh, but also because of the release of Oppenheimer in this last year. I think people will recognize some of the names, some of the figures, uh, certainly some of the themes that we're tackling in this show. So it is a three-person play, and Aaron Orion Baker is back on stage. And I was so happy to see his name because he has been missing from the theater scene in in our world i mean i know he's been doing other things but in terms of st louis regional theater so how delightful and he's going to play niels and forgive me because lizzie you're playing his wife um, <laughs> nels or niels niels Bohr. niels Bohr. okay niels Bohr. yes and i would say aaron has been doing a wonderful thing which is called parenting <laughs> which um, take, takes people away sometimes from other work, but um, it is a delight to get a chance to work with him and with Joel. Um, and I, I play Margareta Bohr, um, Niels Bohr's wife, who was um, not only his companion in friendship, um, but was his, um, was his work companion in the sense that she typed up all of his drafts of all of his papers and his ideas. She challenged him. She asked him to make it in, uh, more palatable to the common uh, person, the non-scientific mind, and I think was essential to his work having the clarity and the power that it did. Wow. And Joel plays in a very important figure. <laughs> yes, I play Werner Heisenberg in Copenhagen, uh, who is a German physicist. Niels Bohr was his mentor. They worked for three years together closely in Copenhagen in the 20s. And this play centers around an evening in September in 1941, in the middle of World War II, when Heisenberg, who is still living and working in Germany, comes to visit Niels Bohr and Margareta in their home in Copenhagen in German-occupied Denmark in 1941. Uh, to have a very important conversation. The best place to be that time of year <laughs> in our time in history. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so you have this uh, background of that tension going on in the play. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So it's so, going to, yeah, go ahead, Carl. Oh, I was going to say, Lizzie, in your research uh, to play the part, can you decipher any of these symbols that are behind my head? Oh, um, I would say not. No, <laughs> not off the top of my head. I'd have to spend some time with those. Because it's all it's all mathematical equations for those of you not listening and seeing the picture. But it is probably some of the things that your character would have had to have written down for her husband to make sure that uh, all the equations made sense. Yeah, and this was um, the one of the big things in the play is the difference between um, theoretical physics and experiential physics. Is that the right word? Experimental. Oh, experimental, yes. And uh, so theoretical physics is is this broader idea of really looking at big picture ideas and how they might relate, but is um, uh, different than what we might think of in science as a very provable. Um, always a provable um, test. So I think that even even though she may have done some of the equations, I think a lot of it was more in concepts. 
But Joel, you could correct me on that. You're the you're the scientist in the uh -huh. in the show. Well, you know, there's a reason we all got into media rather than uh, science. <laughs> Yeah, the arts, the, art, the arts people, you know, um, one of the things uh, I saw this documentary, Apollo 11 at the uh, IMAX and a guy afterwards, I heard he overheard him say they did all of that with pencils and slide rulers. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a time where we're talking low tech and we're talking big brains Mm -hmm. and ideas and as Oppenheimer showed us I think because I think Oppenheimer's brilliant movie and I think it's uh so delightful that they did not dumb it down mm -hmm. and and you could understand what they were talking about as a as a right brain person I was totally riveted by this so how is this uh, in terms of presenting to an audience, trying to get them to understand what's happening, what are the challenges of of this play? I think one of the great things that the play manages to do and Michael Frayn manages to do in his writing of the play, uh, and we talk about this, the characters in the play talk about this, one of Niels Bohr's values as a scientist was he believed that we do science in order that so we can explain it to others in plain language. Uh, so you, what this play does very well is it takes those very high concepts of the theoretical physics that we're discussing and translates them into very plain language um, through metaphor, through abstract ideas. Uh, and what you really get is the, the passion that these characters have about the work, about the science, about the math. Uh, and you you get how quick their brains work uh, and just how fast they have to think, uh, especially without all the modern tools that technology has given us in our age. Uh, but the way they discuss them is through plain language, through metaphor. Uh, it's almost poetic in moments, the way they talk about science. Uh, so you get a really lovely sense of how passionate these characters are uh, about their work. Uh, and how much fun at times they have discussing it. Uh, and then at other times, how dangerous it is discussing it. Yeah, I would say the danger is a really important part of the show, that um, this was a crucial moment. We're talking about the lives of thousands of people. We're talking about mm. um, something that we're still playing out in terms of the bomb and who has control and whether what the moral um, weight is from a scientific point of view. Um, that is very present in this show. Why did he come in 1941 as a German to Copenhagen mm -hmm. to discuss these topics in thus endangering the Bohr, the Bohr's family? Um, that's the big question of the play. And we keep circling around to it. Yeah. Ah. Uh -huh. And so you, and Joel, you kind of look like Daniel Craig because, you know, they did a movie <laughs> and Daniel Craig played your part. I will take any comparison to Daniel Craig, so I will uh, <laughs> I will accept that as reality from henceforth. <laughs> so did you have to learn, uh, a do you guys have a dialect coach? Did you have a dialect coach? We don't use dialects in this show. Uh, we're doing cool. just very standard American dialects. Um, the play revolves around an event that took place in Copenhagen between Danish people and a German 
Uh, but the world that the play exists in is really not Copenhagen in 1941. It's this sort of nebulous world where we're existing and re-examining our various memories of that evening and other times in our life. So the play in an interesting way takes place outside of time and space. Uh, and because of that, uh, we really allowed ourselves to, um, you know, release ourselves from uh, those additional ornaments of a dialect. Well, sometimes I like seeing things like that, like, like you know, you're not paying attention, you know, you're understanding it better because if somebody, it's, it's just, yes, I like that idea. You know, just sometimes like when people do Shakespeare, they go one way with it and, and, and you know, another. So, Carl, you did see Joel last summer in Merry Vibes. When we yes, were sitting, I did. Yeah, when we were sitting at uh, the Tower Grove. And that, that was, was a fantastic production. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. It was a, a very fun production to work on. Uh, and that, that Tower Grove performance was one of my favorites. I'm a Tower Grove resident, so... I was very excited to be on home turf doing that show. That that was really fun. And then Lizzie was uh, in Gloria, a life at New Jewish, and she played Wilma Mankiller, Carl. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was a great pleasure. I felt privileged to be able to play such a such an incredible historical figure. Such a man killer. <laughs> <laughs> But it was, it was, I, I threw you off, know, Lynn. I'm sorry. I know. No, it was really good. I mean, for, you know, uh, I uh, was telling somebody the other day, I grew up in the 60s, so I'm always ready to protest something. So I was really into Gloria. So it was good. It wasn't, uh, you know, brought back good memories. So uh, speaking of the 60s, I want to talk about uh, uh, Cameron's play because it is. I saw it Saturday night at the Green Finch, which is this most wonderful new space because we talked to Colin Healy and Bradley Rolfe last year, Carl, remember, about yes. Green Finch Theater and Dive Bar. But the theater space is really delightful. Yeah, they and, said yeah. It, uh, it, it, it's, the, it's the loosest definition of a theater that can be. And Lynn did not find it that way. no. No, St. Louis Actors Studio is one of my favorite spaces because it's a black box and they do um, uh, interesting work on that teeny stage. <laughs> they even did August Osage County. <laughs> and so uh, it's all about focusing on the actors. And at the Green Finch, because of their background, they have a really wide space. I was very impressed. So Cameron, tell us about why because he is a he's starting a theater group called soul siren playhouse what brought you to this space to decide to do this here absolutely so i originally had uh reached out to the Kranzberg arts foundation i'm currently sitting here at the high low literary arts cafe as one of their 2024 artists in residence i'm one of their i'm their literary producing artist in residence so embarking on that uh, you know path I reached out to their venues manager and was saying, are there any other venues that would be available uh, at this time to produce Dutchman? Because we wanted to produce it in Black History Month, it being a Black revolutionary play. So the only space they had available was the Dot Zach, which Fly North did Assassins in. 
and mm-hmm. you know saw assassins there enjoyed the production but then when i was in the position of producing myself and got into the space i was highly uh annoyed it is a great music venue but when it came to doing theater i'm like mm, these poles the seating this weird three foot lip it, it it's it's just not giving it's not but i was willing to move forward and um you know had worked out a non-profit deal because soul siren playhouse is a uh, um, irs determined nonprofit, so it was, you know they were gracious to give us the space um at an accessible rate but i was still just not <laughs> Uh, enthused. I was going to persist either way. And then I think it was seeing spelling bee or something around there where uh, at Fly North, uh, well, at Greenfinch Theater and Dive, that got me into the space. And the minute I walked in, I said, yes, yes, it is intimate. It's a low key proscenium in this, you know, black box formation. I instantly was like, oh my God, no, this is the space. So started a conversation with Colin and Bradley and was able to get the space for the same rate that I was going to, you know, work with the Kranzbergs to get. And then it was it was a done deal from there. Well, it's it's really incredible. And what I like, you three have performed in a lot of different spaces. But what is it about an intimate space that that you enjoy, even with its, you know, if it's with its challenges? What do you like about that? So I think this, the as a producer, I see that the space a show is presented in also speaks to its intent and audience impact. So some space, you know, when I was doing Clue at stages, that's, that's a show that wants that big wide stage for the audience just to fall into, you know, the hilarity and the chaos of this story. They can really sit back and enjoy that experience versus Dutchman, I knew that my intention was to not let audiences off the hook. I wanted them to be implicated in some fashion in being on this train with us. So the intimacy of the space, the closeness of not only the audience, but to the stage was already going to set us up for that dramatic intent, which I think audiences are receiving from, from uh, you know being in those seats. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, I, I another- agree. Oh, go ahead, Joel. No, Lizzie, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think one of the reasons that all three of us as professional artists are in St. Louis is because we we love community and we love connection and uh, belonging and uh, making an impact amongst people that we know and love. So I think those those intimate arenas really allow for that in a different way than uh, a large stage does. I know that's that's true for me personally. Yes, and I, I would agree with what my colleagues here have said. Uh, and, you know, theater theater is a communal experience, you know, it's a shared space. Uh, so when we're closer, you know, it's, it's more immediate for me as an artist. Uh, you know, I can, that, that vulnerability uh, is much more palpable uh, and exciting. Uh, and I'm excited to see Cameron here because he and I work together on Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, uh, which was in a very different kind of theater space. And now Cameron's working on a very different kind of play also set on a train. Uh, so it's fun to be on this call together. <laughs> I just thought of that before when when you're tired, I thought, oh my gosh, they were both in Murder on the Orient Express, which was this huge set. The mm-hmm. set was so spectacular that people applauded. 
the, yes. the minute the train it was and it was the rep and so you both were in that and uh, joel i just want to say that you had to lay there uh as the dead body for the longest time i think i've ever had to see a dead body on the stage just saying how was that how you know was that was uh a you just take a challenge uh, to be still for for very long periods of time. But, you know, the, the cast was delightful um, because I'd be in my little train car as it's rotating on and off and people would have to make their entrances and exits through there. So as I'm laying in the dark backstage, people would just come say hi to me periodically. Uh, <laughs> How you, know. you doing, Joel? <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a fun time. And I, I enjoyed working on that show. And I always told people about that show and my character in it. I'd say I have three great scenes and then I get to lay down for a while. <laughs> well, Cameron, speaking of sets, the, the set of Clue is nominated for a theater circle awards because that set, that had to be a fun set to be on last year. Oh my gosh. I remember the day we walked into the theater and just saw Body Manor in all of its glory. I mean, it was just a set. As an actor, it's a treat to find a production value like that. Cause I mean, you walked on it and you were just in it, immersed. And then to see how, you know, Steve Bebout directed the usage of the doors and, you know, the uh, the, the parts that would kind of turn out and come back in, it, it had a life of its own, which I think audiences felt and allowed the actors to just fall into this hilarious chaotic rhythm that we were able to present. Oh my gosh, it was it was amazing. <laughs> my wife, when we were going in, she said, how are they going to do the set? Because it's just, the movie is just so vast and it's just there and you just keep going from room to room to room. And she was wondering how they were going to do that on one set. And then when we left, she said, well, they did it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it literally it, it speaks to the magic of theater and mm -hmm. uh, the magic of all the parts that come together. Actors, directors, our scenic designers and everyone in the back working to fly in and out the flats. And it, it was just so cohesive. I was wondering how we'd pull it off. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, it can be done. Well, they did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it takes a village. You know, it wasn't just depending on one aspect of the production. Every single aspect came together to make that work. Well, yeah. Lynn, before before we get everybody talking about more stuff, we want to let them know that STLAS, that stands for St. Louis Actor Studio, .org is where you can get tickets for Copenhagen. And you can go to greenfinchstl.com slash tickets for Dutchman. I know they're free, but you still have to get tickets because they're not. you just can't show up. Please reserve because seats do go very quickly in this intimate 77 seat black box. We want to make sure we got one for you. <laughs> oh, 77 seats. Oh, and Copenhagen is directed by Wayne Solomon, who is a local treasure. He was a long time. Uh, yeah. And he's a legend and he has, uh, his name is uh, associated with many fine productions. So what was it like to work with Wayne? I love Wayne. Um, this is my second opportunity that I've had to work with Wayne. Uh, he directed me in The Zoo Story and The Dumb Waiter, a double bill. I also did an actor studio uh, in 2021, in the fall of that year, which was that, one of my first That was your debut. Service. 
Yeah. 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 I had I had done the 2020 Afro Ben Fest when I first arrived in town uh, with Sate, uh, and then the pandemic happened, uh, and then my first my first full production was that double bill, uh, and Wayne directed that, um, and I love working with Wayne, and it's really great to get an opportunity to work with him again uh, because he's very insightful. He's obviously got a wealth of experience as an actor, a director, and an educator. Uh, so he has these insights into what you're doing. Um, and what I really appreciate about working with Wayne is he will always challenge you to, to do better, to make stronger choices. Um, and it's a great opportunity when you have a director who has that level of insight, who can push you to really, you know, aim for your best. And he's very co uh, collaborative is the best way to go. Cause you know, as I hear backstories <laughs> about what productions <laughs> were good and what productions were horrible, you hear about the lack of input and the lack of uh, uh, collaboration and just being able to have some space. Cause everybody has a different process. And no, so Wayne has a, he has a great way of layering in um, direction uh, saving certain things for later so that you're you're mm -hmm. working with this element in the beginning and you're you're getting that and then a crucial moment just throwing us one little note which takes it to the next level and and then really setting us up to hand setting us up to take it on as our own which has happened in the last few days where the three of us actors are just looking at each other like oh we now get to really own this, own these characters, mm -hmm. like belong in their bodies and um, and work from the depth of all those layers kind of building up. Well, that's neat. I love when all of a sudden it clicks for people and then it mm -hmm. just raises. So something that really clicks, Cameron's show, I will tell you, is very unsettling and it's very well done. And it's... Uh, what I thought was because Leroy Jones was a figure when I was growing up in the sixties, he was an activist poet and he is the playwright here. So tell us about Akira, the playwright Cameron for your show. Yes. So yeah, this was written by Amiri Baraka who at oh, the time was known as Leroy Jones. And, you know, I found this play when I was 19 and did not even know much about, you know, the Black arts movement, uh, you know, the civil rights revolution of the 60s or, or any of that. I just really. Yeah, this play's 60 years old this year. It is. We have come. We are. We are upon its yeah, the 60th anniversary of its original production at Cherry Lane, I believe March 24th, 1964, which is a little Easter egg on our set, if you pay attention to the set. Uh, so yeah, you know, Amiri Baraka, prolific in his ideas that were radical at the time. And, you know, as a poet, his philosophy was that Black poetry is nothing if it doesn't have teeth if it doesn't bite. He was, you know, we had Langston Hughes, who was one of his predecessors and mentors, who uh, was on the same caliber, but presented his ideas in a more, let's say, palatable, um, kind, clean, acceptable way. Because let us not forget that it was Langston Hughes that wrote, you know, 
Negroes, docile, sweet and kind, God forbid the day they lose their mind, which is what Dutchman is about, but Baraka says it in a much more, um, let's just say spicy way. Yes. Well, this play is only 65 minutes and it's explosive and it's it takes place between a free spirit, I would call Eileen's character, like a hippie chick. She's very free spirited. And um, yes, but she she is very confrontational in a way where she's pushing Cameron's buttons and it gets into very uncomfortable areas of confrontation. But I just kept thinking of today's political climate, like what if that situation was happening on a on a train here like how would people react and and what would it be like but you've kind of kept it vague in terms of the time like there's a cell phone yes and that was intentional uh knowing that it was written in the 60s i i think when you approach plays of this you know sort of socio-political intent when even though it was dated in the 60s when you read the script this the time says the present so this was the present for the 60s, which I wanted to honor a bit of that history, but also to honor the script and putting us in some sort of ambiguous, not so distant past to infer the present. So could this be happening today, today? Absolutely. But we wanted to kind of put it in this ambiguous place to give audiences just enough suspension, but also just enough implication to leave the theater and then look for, you know, the signs and symptoms of this play because it is, it is still very timely. Outside of there being a remake uh, of the 1967 film starring uh, Al Freeman Jr. and Shirley Knight, who were part of the original cast, uh, the new film coming out this year that's already in post production will star um, Aldous Hodge from uh, One Night in Miami. Um, he was in Straight Outta Compton and uh, Black Adam as Clay, my role, and Kate Mara, who was one of the wives in Brokeback Mountain. Uh, she was also in House of Cards in the first season of American Horror Story. She'll be playing Lula, and oh. I didn't know that they would uh, that a film was being remade when we decided to do this show last year. But I think that also speaks to the timelessness of it outside of, uh, you know, the modern representations of it. You know, we just had uh, the Jonathan Majors controversy in the media that got a lot of political attention. And on a more, I would say, visceral note, there was a story at the end of uh, 2022 involving a black man named uh, Christian Abumseli and his girlfriend, who was um, a white social media model named Clenny, who, uh, you know, Christian was known for, let's say, ridiculing black women in preference of white women, which is something that I, I still see in society. You have lots of black men who like to pursue the quote unquote prize or pr forbidden fruit, wink, wink at Adam and Eve apples in the story of, you know, of the white woman assimilation as some sort of uh, token towards their masculinity and worth or whatnot. Well, this man was then killed, stabbed fatally by his girlfriend who called him racial slurs at the same time and then got away with the murder and was on TikTok the next day. So, and this was in 2022. So this is, 
the, the intention of this kind of ambiguity is to also say, hey, it was, 60 years was not that long ago. And how far have we really come? That's a that's a very a common theme right now, I think, is uh, looking back uh, like the black reps hold on. And yeah. and then now. But uh, yes, Eileen has to uh, chomp a lot of apples. <laughs> she eats a lot of apples. We're definitely, uh, you know, our teeth are going to be very, very strong and healthy at the end of this one. <laughs> but uh, Lizzie and Joel were talking about layers. And I think your show is very layered, too. Whereas it starts and, and then you get in and then it starts getting uncomfortable and it starts getting powerful and then there's rage and raw and fury and and then it's yeah. uh but there's two other supporting players, Jeremy Thomas and yeah. uh Donald Kidd come on, but it's basically you and Eileen. And to see Eileen in uh a very unhinged type of role. Yes. <laughs> it's a startling. Because, yes. you know, normally she's not playing a, a, a mean girl. Yeah, you know, when we, when it came to deciding to do this play, once I finally said, oh, aha, this is the play that we need to do as our first production. Um, I quickly knew that I would want to act in it myself, um, not only to represent the company, but to secure, you know, how the role would would be coming across to audiences. But I also knew that I would need someone that A, had insane stage chops, was an amazing actor in their own, you know, craft, but who I trusted to go on this journey, to unpack these subjects and to approach the play with the fearlessness, the boldness and the reckless abandon that would be required. So I said, hey, Eileen, I want to do this next year. How would you feel? Read the script first. Look at the movie first because it's challenging and it's something maybe not within your normal wheelhouse. But I believe if we do this together, it will be awesome. And and it's going awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's good. So uh, when are your performances? What nights? Yeah, so we are performing this week, Thursday, uh, February 8th, and tomorrow's performance will actually be followed by a community talkback with our uh, community partner, Diversity Awareness Partnership. You know, it's a, when people leave the show, they have lots of feelings and want to talk about it. So we'll be having DAP come in to facilitate a dialogue to help folks not only process their experience after the show, but to engage people on the themes of racism, sexism, prejudice, and bias that not only exist in the script, but how they might present in our everyday lives, our own, you know, subconscious motivations and what we can do to positively impact those. And uh, there is a nice dramaturge on uh, there's in the back that that I encourage everybody to read before you see the show, because yes, that was it's, uh, yeah by our dramaturg Zaria Moore beautifully. I think it adds context to some of the the themes that people might not uh, be aware of due to the uh, the historic distance of when the play was created. And outside of tomorrow's performance, we also have performances Friday night at eight o'clock, Saturday night at eight o'clock as well. And then next week will be Thursday through Sunday, same times, including two matinees, Saturday and Sunday. Uh-huh. And, and Joel and Lizzie, you start on Friday, but then the next week you'll have Thursday, correct? 
That is correct. Yeah, we open on Friday the 9th. We run through the 25th of February. Uh, and typically we'll have shows Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings at 8 o'clock. Sundays at 3 o'clock. I love that Sunday 3 o'clock one because it's just not, it, it's just not two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, three, 3 o'clock's a good matinee time. Yeah, I like 3. I know, yeah. so I like that. That's when I'll be, I'll be there. Instead of the pre-Super Bowl stuff, I will be at the St. Louis Actors. Super Street. Bowl doesn't start till really five thirty. So I know, and and the there is modern technology like DVRs and things like that. So I don't mind. So I am. Uh, it's at the Gaslight Theater, which mm -hmm. is awesome, and both places, both Green Finch because it's a dive bar, and. Gaslight Theater's next to a place with wine and food. You both have those options too. If people want to gather before or have a drink beforehand or after or whatever. So you've got that going too. Yes. We even have specialty cocktails created mm -hmm. for Dutchman representing Lula's character and my character. Lula's drink is a apple Manhattan. You know, it's dangerous <laughs> like her. And then my, and it's called the Lula Lula. And then mine is called the Baudelaire, which when you see the play, you'll figure that one out. And it's a delicious, silky coffee martini. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Good job. So anybody got anything on the horizon that they want to mention while we were talking to you? Yeah, I mean, after Dutchman closes, I will then be going into production and rewrites for my next venture, uh, which is which will be my one-man show, Death Jam. And this will be something produced in collaboration with my artist residency with the Kranzberg Arts Foundation. And it will also be going up at the uh, St. Louis Fringe Festival in August. And it's a self-created uh, original story by me. It is actually my life story in a lot of ways where I dive in to talk about my multiple near-death experiences and how my relationship with death has transformed my life and my will to live. So you can expect music, lights, projections. It's gonna be the party of your life, but you know we're gonna be wrestling with death a little bit. Okay, so Lizzie and Joel. Yeah, well, I just, I just took on a position as managing director with Upstream Theater and we have, um, a really exciting show, thank you, opening in April called Don't Wait for the Marlboro Man, which Ooh. is a play written by um, a Luxembourg playwright and is featuring um, Caitlin Mickey and Isaiah DiLorenzo, directed by Philip oh, Bank. So that's coming up. So that's really exciting. And well, then yeah. performance, performance will, I've got The Whale at Actor Studio coming up in April as well. Are you going to play the caretaker? I play the wife. The wife. Oh, Okay. Which will be the second time I've played um, William's wife on stage. That's, that's right. <laughs> it's a fiction. Fiction. Yeah, in fiction. Yeah. I, I forgot. So, Joel, what's next? I've got a few more projects coming up this year, but casting hasn't been announced, so I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything. Okay. That's uh, it, it, okay. I, I can, I'll tell you, you'll see me at the New Jewish Theater next. That's coming up very soon, right after Copenhagen. Cool. Who did your artwork, Cameron? Um, I'm intrigued by this poster. I did. <laughs> Multi-talented. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you're a man of many talents. By yes, the way, uh, poplifestl.com will be featuring a Take 10 with Cameron uh, as soon as I insert photos. 
So we'll have that up real, 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 real soon. And it's a pleasure to talk to all of you because I enjoy your work so much. And uh, I'm so grateful that you got to spend today with us. I was just telling Carl, this is our fifth anniversary, fifth uh, oh, year of doing this. So we morphed it. It's changed uh, over the years. But I like now that we have a format because we engage with a lot of artists. And it's yeah. been very inspiring this year. So I hope people enjoy. <laughs> we don't have to talk as much that way. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, give the websites again, greenfinchstl.com and stlas.org for tickets and times and all the information that you can need for both of the shows. Break a leg or break Thank legs. You so much. Thank you all so much. Thank You're you. welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for being on with us. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Well, that was fantastic. They were, And I love that they know each other. I know. I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot uh, uh, that uh, they were in. But yeah, for Murder on the Orchestra, obviously Joel played the dead guy, the the guy that gets murdered. But but not only that, Lynn. They all know. Even if they didn't, like Lizzie had not necessarily worked with Cameron, but they all know of each other because the same because the theater community is tight. Yes, they are. And our theater circle annual awards are going to be March 25th at the rep tickets are on sale uh, at the, the reps box, you know, the reps website yep. for the box office. And it's going to be a fun night. Happy hour is six 30. The awards start at seven 30. Uh, it's a delight. Joel won two last year for Emily Bronte's house party. And he played like the weekend at Bernie's uh dead brother it was hilarious, mm -hmm. hilarious and then he won for uh the christians as the reverend who loses his faith has a crisis of faith and so both and then cameron won for the african company presents richard the third at the black rep he was and, and diana de garmo's up for two awards two acting awards this year too yeah, she was terrific in Aida, and she was good in Clue too. Didn't you enjoy her? I loved her. I loved her in Clue. I saw her in both of those performances. Yeah, so she was uh, hilarious. And then Zoe Vanderhaar's nominated. The lead guy is nominated. Mr. Green, yes. Miss Scarlet, Mrs. Peacock. Yes, and, and the ensemble is. I nominated. think Clue's. I think Clue. I'd be surprised if stages might win a lot of awards. Yeah, I think the thing about the Muni is the Muni was so good last year. It was the best season. Every I've show. And, and I love that every single, uh, almost every single person from Beautiful was nominated, except for her husband. But it didn't get nominated for Best Ensemble. I thought that was, I thought that was a quirk. Well, you never know about different well people. you never know because they don't you're not th you think of four leads in that one rather than ensemble right well clue ensemble that lead guy was just like he was the robin williams like in terms of how fast he was and the repertoire but everything the sound the lights the set the costumes the... i am so glad my wife dragged me to clue she said that's the only play of the season and we saw a lot last year she said that's the only one i want to see because i want to see if they could pull it off and we even watched the movie the night before and it was 
Clue was an unexpected treat. And and Stages hadn't done a non-musical in forever. I know. That was a brand new thing. And then this year they're going to do Steel Magnolias besides Newsies and right. Ragtime. So that'll be interesting. But they've really stepped it up. Their production values are incredible. The Muni, there was so much good, I think. That's why it was really hard. And I and, mean, even Chess got some nominations. And that was... and. Chess and it, chess was good, but no one knew anything about chess to overcome the novelness of if that's not a word, the novelty of chess. Uh, and it still got awards nominations, right? Well, that's what I think was good. Technically, it was just brilliant. And those voices, those voices, the story is still wonky. I don't think you can do much with that story. That's probably why it didn't advance farther. I, you know how much I love West Side Story, and that was just such a beautiful, elegant, emotional production. And Ken and that, Page is nominated for that. Yeah, I really pushed for that because I thought he was, don't you think he was really good as Da? He made the most of that part as you could in that show. That's a good way to put it. I and really also, I, th I think that, I think that their version of Little Shop is going to win the awards it should win. And that was very good, very strong. And uh, Sister Act was so fun. It was a, it was the cherry on top of the season. I thought it was really fun. It didn't get as many uh, nominations. Now I have my own awards that I put out. Lynn's Love of Theater Awards called the Lotties, and I, uh, I, I recognize a ton of people because that's what I do. It's my awards. It's my opinion. So I have a lot more than five slots. And then I also have a lot more different categories. Like I did a, a did a top 10 of the, the num the best musical numbers that brought the house down like Anthem and chess and uh, the, the, the sister in the wheelchair and sister act yeah. She thinks the knife, the life I never led that, that one. Good. And oh, then, and then the so guy good. that played Tony in uh, the Maria, he sang at West Side Story, mm -hmm. pierced your heart. So I did, a, I did stuff like that. And then juveniles, we don't recognize juveniles. So I did all that stuff because it's just, you know, it's what I can do. I mean, you know, it's my opinion. I go to, I went to 72 regional theater shows last year. Not Oh my goodness. I know. Not including one X touring productions like at the Fox yeah. and uh, college. So I don't include any of that or community theater. And uh, the Fox, I did pick To Kill a Mockingbird as the best touring show at the Fox. And then I runner up with Tina. Did you get I, to see? I, didn't, I, I did not get to see Tina. Raise the Roof. Well, the uh, Grammys were fabulous Sunday, I thought. Uh, especially the memorials and Fantasia was terrific for um, Tina Turner and Stevie Wonder's tribute to Tony Bennett and John Batiste's gospel tribute to uh, Charles Avery. And then um, our, I forget the guy's name. He, and then uh, Burt Backrack had a little nice musical interlude, but Tracy Chapman and Joni Mitchell, man, started crying for both those but as soon as they showed tracy chapman's hands strumming the guitar for fast car i just started crying <laughs> a lot of people said they just started crying because it was 
so good to see her. And it went that version went up to number one on iTunes like the next day. I know. Isn't that remarkable? And then Joni, because she had that brain aneurysm, you know, she had a posse around her. Like Brandy Carlisle would not let anything go wrong there. You know, she's just yeah. such a a Joni booster. And it was just beautiful. And uh, well, she, she had never gotten to perform on the Grammys, I think. Never. But how, how about Jay-Z's speech? Uh, well, that... <laughs> I don't think now he's got that award. I think he'll boycott it again. So, Lynn, I'm actually going to see a movie next week. I think I'm going to go see the Bob Marley movie on Monday so we can talk about it next week. Oh, yeah, good. And also, um, you need to see Perfect Days. It's in your neon book. Ah, it's the right. Jap it's the Japanese movie that's just it'll make you uh, it's life affirming. It's about finding joy in everyday things. Well, I wanted to admit that I said something wrong last week, and I couched it by saying, let's see if my memory is correct. The Cool in the Gang guys, those were the only Americans that were in Band-Aid. They were not both in Band-Aid and USA for Africa. I knew there was something about Cool in the Gang. It was not that they were in we are the world. They were in Do They Know It's Christmas. But those were the only Americans in it. Because I went back and I said, let's see if I'm right. I was not right. So I had a piece of trivia, but not that. And as you said, Lynn, as we go full circle on this, Dan Aykroyd was a blues brother. She's like, why was Dan Aykroyd there? Dan Aykroyd was a big selling blues brother and respected the R&B of the 50s and 60s. So platinum selling artists in his own right. Uh -huh. That's why Dan Aykroyd was there. Lynn, where can we find you on the socials and everywhere else? I'm on the socials and I'm on KTRS radio every Friday at 1108. And I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I have an article previewing the sound inside another show that opens this weekend at the Moonstone. By the way, my book, Ageless Glamour Girls, Reflections on Aging, we're having our Galentine's event tonight at 6 p.m. Oh. on our YouTube channel, and we'll be having these from time to time, so tune in. Uh, hopefully it's archived, because I don't know if I'll have this up by the time yeah. people are hearing this. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be archived. On, it'll be on YouTube. Okay. So, hey, thanks, Carl. You have a good one. Enjoy this weather, and I'm seeing drive-away dolls. Oh, yeah. I don't think I... I've had too many events. Like I'm not even going to go see Hairspray tomorrow night. I just need to spend some time at home alone with my wife and uh, do family things. Where have you been for the last week? Not at home. So I'm going to spend some time doing family stuff with my lovely wife. Uh, you can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Instagram, Twitter, and threads. And you can see me on the hockey games and Monday through Friday on the Mark Cox Morning Show on 97.1. And on the weekends on KMOX for Second Amendment Radio and The Great Outdoors. Lynn, have a great week. I think I'll see you at a movie on Monday. That'll be swell, Carl. And you enjoy. And enjoy your time with your lovely wife, Nicole. I like her. <laughs> I do, too. She's so sweet. Okay, Bye. thank you. Bye. Take care.